you may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless. We're picking up in the uh, part of uh, day six of creation, Genesis 1, verse 26. And if you're there, put your finger on your Bible, verse 26, and give me a big amen to let me know you're there. All right, read along with me as I read. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And there are a lot of creeping things on the earth, right? A lot of creepy things. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Uh, Very interesting. You might want to circle those words or underline those words created right there. If you have been with us, we have learned there are different words in Hebrew uh, that are translated either created or made, right? Uh, And this word here that is created is a word that is unique to God. It is the word bara. It means to create out of nothing. It is used 55 times in the Bible. It is a verb that is only used with God as the subject. And the reason for that, we looked in previous weeks, is because man cannot create out of nothing. We have to take something and turn it into something else, and we can make something out of something, whether that be a... uh, a dollhouse or a a fence or whatever. We can take the wood and turn it into a fence or we can take the cotton and make it into a shirt. Uh, That word in Hebrew is called a saw. It's taking something from one form to another. But only God can borrow. Again, 55 times the word borrow is used in the Bible every single time with God as the subject. And what's interesting is the word isn't used very much. Uh, it, is, uh, it was there in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God, bara, created out of nothing, time, space, and matter. The God who is outside of time, space, and matter created time, space, and matter. But then the rest of the, the words were a saw. Then God, he organized and fashioned all these things. But here in the creation of man, we see something unique. The word bara is used again, and it's used three times. Bara. Why? Well, it's even more interesting is when we get into chapter two, we're going to see God was made, excuse me, God made man from the dirt of the ground. And that is not bara. That is a different word, forming uh, man from the dirt of the ground. But he wasn't a living being when he formed him out of the dirt of the ground. God bara, he created your soul. That did not come from the dirt. Your mind, 
That did not come from the dirt. Your will, your capacity, your giftings, all of those God spoke into existence out of nothing. Uh, and they were all from his image, uh, coming from the image of God. Uh, verse 26, excuse me, verse 28. Then God blessed them. That is man, mankind, Adam and Eve. God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply. I encourage you, underline those words. God blessed them. There are some who think that God is just this judge waiting to meter out punishment for every time we break the speed limit, right? Like, oh, he just, oh, you messed up, you messed up. No, 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 wrong view of God. God makes all of the earth and he's making it with this in mind, I'm going to make man. And then he makes man and he blesses them. God wants to bless your life. He is for you, not against you. He has great plans for you. And he wants us to know those plans. They're not obscure. God's will is not obscure. God's will is revealed in his word. He wants us to know it so that we can walk in these plans and be blessed. And here God makes Adam and Eve, creates them, uh, and blesses them. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. And I can imagine Adam at this moment, right? He looks over and he sees Eve. Wow. Lord, she's amazing. And God says, I want to bless you. He marries them right there. The first marriage there in the Garden of Eden. Jesus talked about this marriage. God marrying Adam and Eve. And the two become one flesh. And God blesses them. And says, be fruitful and multiply. And Adam looks at Eve and he goes, yes, sir. Your commandments are wonderful, Lord. I love your ways. They're amazing, right? And uh, no doubt they make love right there in, in the Garden of Eden as God creates them. The beauty of God's design. Uh, God blessed them, verse 28, and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion over the fishes of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves. I'm going to have you underline a few words again. Uh, not only God blesses them, but I want you to see here uh, this word dominion. It is the second time God mentioned it in the creation of man. Have dominion over everything that I have given you. Uh, Verse 29, and God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Again, I want you to underline, on the face of all the earth, it wasn't just the Garden of Eden, the trees that they could partake of. No, no, no. God made every tree on the earth, and he said, it's all yours. He gives them the entire earth. And I love the diversity 
of all the fruit trees and the vegetables and everything that God made that is good for food. And he says, hey, listen, all of this is your food. It's all of you. It's yours. I love the flavor and the diversity of all the foods. I go to In-N-Out Burger and they have amazing tomatoes at In-N-Out Burger. Uh, they're big. They're they're firm, they're incredibly, you know, they're beautiful red and big. And I always order my hamburger with extra tomatoes. And I order my wife's hamburger with extra tomatoes also. And she doesn't want extra tomatoes. <laughs> but I order her hamburger that way because I want her extra tomatoes. And, and I just have a big tomato hamburger right there, man. Uh, God's, God's fruit. So amazing. So amazing. Strawberries. I had some strawberries yesterday in an acai bowl. They were so good. Uh, I just, I marvel at the variety. Think of how many different kind of vegetables and, and fruits and all the nuts and all the stuff that God made. And it's all good for you. And it's all just hanging there head high. You walk by and you're like, yeah, yeah, right? It's amazing design. And God says, hey, it's all yours. Enjoy the variety. It's good for you. It's, 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 it's nutritious. It's, it's for, your, for your life. Verse 30. Also, to the beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to every creeping thing on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And so here we see the animal kingdom at creation were all herbivores. Uh, no animals eating each other, no, no, no carnivores, right? They're all herbivores. And he says, hey, God, just all this is for you. I find it amazing. Think about this. How many people on the earth? Seven point something billion people. That's a lot of people. Do you know that all of them woke up this morning hungry? And God is able to feed all of them. Forget just the humans. How many creatures on the earth? How many bugs? How many birds? How many worms? How many moths? How many seals and dogs and horses? And trillions and trillions and trillions, innumerable amounts. And all of them woke up this morning hungry. Every beast of the field, hungry. And God has, from the beginning of time, been satisfying all of their desires and sustaining them. What an amazing God. What an amazing thing to ponder, right? Uh, uh, and this whole earth, herbivores, nothing dying. Nothing dying. Death, the Bible tells us, is the wages of sin. It's the product of sin. And here in this perfect world that God created, nothing dying. Uh, we read, by the way, uh, when Jesus comes back to rule and reign in all of his glory. He came the first time. God became a man. He dwelt among us. He came the first time as a suffering servant to take our sins on his own shoulders. To take the punishment of our sin on his own 
shoulders so that we could have the righteousness of God given to us freely by his work on the cross. And he came the first time to earth as a suffering servant, purchasing our redemption. But he's coming the second time as God in all of his glory, in all of his fullness. And when he comes, he is going to change the earth back to its Eden-like state. And the Bible tells us that once again, the lion will lay down with the lamb. The ox and the bear will eat straw like a cow. And the, all the animal kingdom will be herbivores again. Uh, uh, back, to, back to Eden, God will bring us. Uh, long for the day. Uh, verse 31. Then God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was, say it with me. Very good. Let's say it again. It was very good. Interesting. God sees all of it. The culmination being his creation of man. And God said something uh, in chapter 2. We're going to get a little bit more detail of the creation of man. And we're going to see that God made man first. He, he brought uh, Eve later on, on that same day, but later. And God made man first. And when he made man, he said, it is not good that man should be alone. <laughs> spoken by a wise man uh, it's not good that man should be alone I'll make a helpmate comparable to him and now God sees all that he has made he has blessed Adam and Eve two people male and female coming together as one flesh he's blessed them and said be fruitful and multiply and he sees all the earth that he has prepared for them and he says now this is really really good God delights in you he takes pleasure in you for the Lord taketh pleasure in his people, the scripture tells us. He will beautify the meek with salvation. God is so for you. And here we see so clearly how God delights in, the, in you, in his creation. And look at this. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Uh, here we see the, the six days of creation. And uh, let's now come back and see if we can unpack some of this. God said, let us make man in our image. Who is the us? Who is the our? What is God saying? Well, I find it fascinating that here we see God revealing more of himself. Uh, this word, then God said, let us make man God, is Elohim. And Elohim, we were introduced to in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. So we were inter introduced to Elohim, God, in verse 1, and we learned as we studied uh, verse 1, that Elohim in Hebrew is plural, for a singular God. It is the only word like it in all the earth. A plural word for a singular God. And now, here on day six, when God makes man, God reveals more of himself to us. 
He revealed that he was a plural God in verse 1, and now he reveals more of his triune nature as he says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. This is the triune God conversing, discussing the creation of man. And this is God in the creation of man revealing more of himself to man. God did not reveal this about himself in the, when he created the rest of creation. But when it comes time to make man, he says, I want to reveal more of myself to man. Let us make man in our image. Now we know in scripture that the Bible speaks of God the Father being involved in creation, God the Son, and God the Spirit, all, all three of the Godhead being involved in creation. We've read about God the Father being involved in creation. Uh, in John chapter 1, we read of Jesus being involved in creation. Uh, this is John 1.3. Let me hear you read this. All things were made through him, that's Jesus, and without him was nothing made that was made. Jesus was the creator of the universe. Colossians tells the same thing. Jesus created the universe, and without him, nothing was made that was made. That includes angels, uh, you know, all the, the cherubim, the seraphim, the angelic host, all of it, all created by Jesus. Uh, verse 10 goes on to unpack this more. Uh, he, that's Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him and the world did not know him he came to his own and his own did not receive him wow god enters in to his own creation the creator becomes creation and when he does we don't even recognize him we don't even know him and we kill him we despise him. We turn our back against him. Uh, this speaks of God the Father in creation, and these verses speak of God the Son involved in creation. Uh, we read in Genesis 1-2, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. We read of God the Holy Spirit being involved in creation, hovering over his creation. And the imagery I gave you was just like a chef hovering over a three-course meal or a five-course meal. Hovering over it, making sure everything is in its perfect place. No three-course meal ever just comes into existence as you... Bring the groceries from the car into the house and the bag of the groceries rips and all the groceries go on the floor and bam, this three-course meal pops out. Never happens. A three-course meal happens by a chef taking all the ingredients and hovering over it garnishing it, making it look beautiful, putting a drizzle, completing it with his finishing touches that it might be presented a magnificent meal. And this is God involved in creation. Let us, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all involved in creation, make man in our image. All of this to say, this profound and amazing truth you were created in the image of God. Wow. Unbelievable. 
Now, this does not mean that we physically look like God. Because the Bible tells us, Jesus told us, John chapter 4, God is a spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is beyond our comprehension. We don't know anything about this dimension. We only know the dimensions that we live in, the material universe. But God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body. He's a spirit. He is outside of time, space, and matter. That is why the cosmogony of the Bible, the origin of the universe of the Bible, is far superior to any other cosmogony uh, that doesn't deal with absolute origins. The Bible is the only cosmogony that deals with absolute origins. You have a God who is outside of time, space, and matter, bringing time, space, and matter into existence. But God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body. Uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. God is a spirit. He can't be seen uh, by, in a physical body. So then what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, when God would further reveal himself to us in scripture about his person, who he is, uh, the Bible would tell us that God's person, God is love. God is love. It does not say that God loves, it says that God is love. And so the whole Bible is trying to help us re understand and, and uh, define what love is because we all have wrong, wrong concepts of what love is. Uh, we have wrong concepts of what God is. And we have to learn what real love is. And that's what happens as we learn uh, who God is, this, this God who is love, we then learn how to love properly. And we have relationships that thrive as a result of learning how to love properly. It is interesting though, God is love and man being made in God's image, man's greatest need, man's greatest, uh, uh, just the, the, the core of who he is, is to be loved and to be involved in meaningful relationships. You take love away from man. You take relationships away from man. You put him in solitary confinement. And it is only a matter of days before he loses his mind and goes crazy and disintegrates into nothing. Uh, we were created in the image of God. God is love and we need love and we need relationships. We also know that God is an eternal spirit. He always was. That's hard for us to fathom because all we know is time, space, and matter. But God is outside of time. He's an eternal spirit. And made in the image of God, we are a spirit that lives eternally. We're not an eternal spirit because we have a starting point. Conception. We became a living spirit. Bara. Out of nothing, God gave us a spirit, a soul that will live forever. God is an eternal God and we are a spirit that will live eternally made in the image of God. God has dominion 
over all things. He has dominion in the heavens. He has dominion on earth. He can say, hey, the earth is done, and he can wrap it up and, and bring it to nothing. He can wrap up the universe like a curtain, the Bible says, and he's going to one day. Uh, he has dominion over everything, and God made man in his own image, and he gave man dominion over all the earth. You know why the earth is such a mess? Because we have dominion over it. I'm not exaggerating. We're going to really look at this in detail in chapter 3. Uh, this dominion that we've been given and what we've done with it. Uh, but God has di dominion. Man has a lesser dominion. Not the same dominion as God, but made in God's image. Look at the favor that God has given you. Uh, we also bear the image of God in our daily function. Like God, we can reason. We can have profound thought. We can contemplate incredible things. We have reason like God. Like God, we have a will. A set desire that we want for something and uh, we want it to be this way. We have a will. We're made in the image of God. God has a set will. We have emotions. God has emotions. Uh, what I'm trying to help us see here is that God is a person. And we often have a hard time grasping that. God is a person. He has will. He has emotions. He can, his emotions can be hurt. You can grieve God. You can bless God's soul. When you love someone, you give them the ability to bring joy into your life. You also give them the ability to bring pain into your life because of your love for them. And just as we have a will, uh, it's because we're made in the image of God. Where did that will come from? Will did not come from the dirt. Emotion did not come from the dirt. That was bara, created out of nothing and given to you when you were created by your creator. God is an intelligent God. God has made you in his image. You are incredibly intelligent. Your mind is capable of in incredible things. Uh, uh, it just... Uh, amazing what God has gifted man with. I have a little grandson. He's only seven months old and I am just watching him learn so rapidly. The human brain is amazing and I marvel at how, how it all works. Uh, God has a moral sense of what is right and what is wrong and God made you in his image with a moral sense God is a God who loves justice and desires justice. And God made you in his image and you have a desire for justice. The only problem is, is we have a sin nature. We don't want justice for us. We just want justice for everyone else, right? Uh, we want grace for us. Uh, but we see that we're bear, we, we bear that image. Uh, we bear God's image in that we're incredibly creative. God is a creative God. We look at the, the world that he made, the universe that he made. We see, oh my gosh, what an artist. What a creative. What an imagination. Look at all the animals. Just, I mean, amazing creation. We went into that in depth in previous weeks. And we see man is also made in that, in that image. Look how, how creative man is. 
man writes books and stories and writes music and writes plays and uh, writes, you know, puts together an orchestra and writes symphonies and, oh, just incredibly creative. God gives man athletic ability. God is, has all kinds of ability and God gives man incredible athletic ability. Uh, God gives man artistic ability. We're able to create things, uh, to make beautiful things. Look at the buildings that we make. Look at the amazing gadgets that we make. Incredible to consider the stuff we make. I mean, look at Russ's hat. I mean, just he's got on his head. Uh, look at Taylor's glasses that she's got on the top of her head. Uh, they're designed where you can bring them up here. You can just bring them down here. And they change color if it's bright outside. And they get darker. And we can make incredible things. Right now, we're sitting in a room. And we've got nice, cool air blowing on us. And just a couple hours ago, it was blowing hot air. We had fans uh, with these giant gas blowing out, shooting giant flames and air blowing over those flames to bring warm air in here. Then we go, oh no, let's get a little warm in here. Now we have Freon cooling stuff and condensing and blowing air over that to make it cool in here. We can create incredible things. You have an iPhone in your pocket so you can just waste all of your time and, and <laughs> incredible things that we can create made in the image of God. I marvel. I marvel at the gifting that he has. Where do we get this gifting? This team that plays music. Amy and... Uh, Sarah, who do the decor, and Rita, who do the decor. I mean, my office would look like a bachelor pad if it wasn't for the, 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 the skills and the ability that those ladies have to just make things look beautiful. Where does that come from? Made in the image of God. Amago Dei. Dei, deity, Latin, deity. Amago, image. Amago Dei, made in the image of God. These things did not come from the dirt from which you came. They were bara, bara, bara into you. Uh, uh, God just pouring and creating out of nothing these amazing gifts that are in you. I want you to know being created in the image and likeness of God establishes a personal relationship between God and man. A unique, privileged relationship that does not exist with any other creature on the earth. Only man bears the image of God. Why? Why? Let's put our thinking caps on for a moment. Let's use this incredible brain that God has given us. Why only man in the image of God? I mean, dogs are pretty cool. Oh, they're happy. They, they, they do different things. They're fun. Uh, you know, all the animal life is, is pretty cool. None of them bear the image of God, though. Why? Bears are cool. They get along just fine. They wake up every day. They eat. They find their food. They mate. They have offspring. They can, they do their stuff. They do their bear things. They scratch on the tree, you know. They, they get by, but they're not made in the image of God. Why is man made in the image of God? Here's why. 
Because God created you for himself. And he gave you the ability and the capacity to ponder him. And he puts you on this world with a clear atmosphere. And he makes the heavens majestic so that you lay on your back at night after a long day and look up and go, Oh my gosh, who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? That you might look at all of his creative splendor and just go... There's more. Furthermore, God has set eternity into the heart of man, an inward longing that is making us beckon questions. Why am I not satisfied with this and this and this? And I thought if I could get this, then I'd be, would be. And then if I thought I'd get this, then I'd be. Then I thought I'd get this, and then I'd be satisfied. And none of it satisfies me. I am made for something more. And we would ponder and we would come to this understanding of I was made for God. You were made in the image of God. None of the other creative beings were because God made you for himself. Uh, I want you to write this down. It is worth meditating on. It is worth pondering. It is simple, but don't let the simplicity deceive you. You were created by God and you were created for God. All of the other creation God gave to man. God made you and he said, you are for me. You belong to God. And this makes your life far more valuable than all the other creatures on the earth. You and you alone have been given tremendous capacities to know and to ponder God. And you are capable of having a relationship with God. God made you in his likeness. You are a relational being. God is a relational being. You are an individual person with unique giftings and abilities. God is an individual person. You have a desire to know and to be known. God has a desire to know and to be known. You were made in his image. And because God is love, God desires intimate, personal relationships. And he gave you the capacity for the same. Because you are made for him. Uh, in real estate... There is a term when they go to do an appraisal on a property. Uh, you real estate guys will know this. Uh, if they go to do a, an appraisal on the property, they do the appraisal for what is called the highest and the best use. And that is what they determine the value of the property on. The highest and the best use. So... You might want to buy a piece of land in Rancho Santa Fe. And you may say, hey, I just want to put a chicken coop on it. And you say, yeah, I only want to pay this much for it. Because after all, I only want to put a chicken coop on it. Well, the appraiser will come out and he says, I don't care what you want to put on it. I'm going to appraise it for its highest and best use. Its highest and best use is to have a mansion on it. A big honking mansion 
with a swimming pool and jacuzzi and a theater and a weight room and a big garage and on and on and on. And the property will be appraised for the highest and best use. By the way, who do you, is the housing market in our area just crazy or what? Is it like out of control? It's just like it's crazy out of control, right? Uh, who determines that a little shack is worth $1.5 million? Who determines that? Well, let me ask you, who does determine that? Who? We do. We do. That shack ain't worth much. But because we place a value on it, we'll pay $1.3 million for that shack. Do you understand where we're going? Our highest and best use is to be in relationship with God. And that is what determines our value. Our value is not determined by anything we do. Our value is determined by our highest and best use. Our value is not determined by the shack that is on the lot. Our value is determined by its highest and best use. And our highest and best use is to be in a relationship with our creator. To intimately know the love of God and the mind of God and come to a place where we go, oh my gosh, that love is amazing. That mind is amazing. I want to love him back. That is our highest and best use. And so often we lose sight of this important truth. And we think our highest and best use is to look good. And so we go to the gym and we start working out the abs, man. And we're just working and working and working. You're like, what are you doing? Oh, man, I want to look good. That is not your highest and best use. And we go to the gym and we do our squats, right? We're just sitting there squatting, squatting. And when we get that down, we start putting weight on. And we're squatting. We're squ what are you doing? Well, I want to have nice glutes. My glutes are super important to me. Why? Why? Because I think my highest and best use is my glutes. I want to look good. Dude, you got things backwards. Those glutes were made to sit on. Not to worship. And somewhere along the line, you have forgotten your value and worth. It's not your glutes. Oy vey. <laughs> Inside, I'm cracking up. Aren't we crazy? If it's not looking good that we think is our highest and best use, then we start maybe thinking pleasure is our highest and best use. And so we want constant entertainment. We go home to our giant screen and we watch constant entertainment. And then we walk into our car and we 
listen to more entertainment. And then we go to the movies. And then what are we doing here? And we plan this. We plan this. We want constant entertainment. We get our phones and we're like, swipe, 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 swipe. Constant entertainment. Why? Because we think pleasure is our highest use. And so we go looking for sex, and we go looking for drugs, and we go looking to get high, and we, why? Because we think pleasure is our highest. And we go to vacation and travel, and why? Because we think pleasure. And then when that wears out, we kind of go, well, maybe, maybe wealth is my highest use. My, and so we go after money, and we're building this company and we're building it bigger and we're building bigger barns and bigger barns and more money making machines and, and just more money and and it's, it's never it's, it just you are created for so much more right uh, very interesting by the way let me just say it again before I, I move on our highest and best use our worth is not what we do but what we were created to be. Our highest and best worth is for the value that God places on us. You are his, the creator of the universe. It will vanish and you will remain. You are made in the image of God. Now, very interesting, as we ponder now that we hold on to that truth, it leads us to the next truth. Because we're made in the image of God. And God is a free moral agent. That means he is free to decide what he values and what he doesn't value. What he desires and what he doesn't desire. And God made Adam in his image a free moral agent. So you can decide where your worth really is. And if you want your worth to be in your glutes, God gives you that privilege. And if you want your worth to be in your wealth, God gives you that privilege. You're made in the image of God. Oh, now it gets a little intimidating because God has given us so much capacity that we can be dangerous to ourselves and to others, including to the world he gave us dominion over. So we need wisdom. And of course, that comes directly from God. Adam could freely choose to love and obey God, or he could freely choose to re neglect his relationship with God. Uh, now, this is a bit of a sidebar. In the strictest sense, God, Adam and Eve were made free moral agents. And in the strictest sense, you and I are no longer free moral agents. Uh, we still are in some degree, but in the strictest sense. And we'll look at that uh, more when we uh, get into Genesis chapter 3. Thank you for listening in to the Mission Church in Carlsbad. Our series, Genesis, God Creates Man, will continue with part B of today's sermon. You can find Part B of God Creates Man at themissionchurch.net under the Watch tab and click on Entire Sermon Library.